Solder Smoke, a podcast about homebrew electronics and amateur radio. This is a program for people who like to melt solder and build their own rigs. For other episodes of the program, go to www.soldersmoke.com. For the latest Solder Smoke news, go to soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Please send feedback to n2cqr at yahoo.com. So, as we step away from our soldering irons and oscilloscopes, Please join us for another edition of Solder Smoke. Okay, guys, good morning. It's Tuesday, January 4th, 2011. That makes this Solder Smoke 129. Open up with a little bit of kind of Christmas time travelogue. I think I mentioned in an earlier show that the uh, the Christmas present this year here at the new location was going to be a puppy dog. And uh, Santa came through. Actually, Elisa came through. <laughs> Because she was the one who made all the arrangements. And uh, the dog arrived on the 23rd. The kids couldn't wait. And we figured we better go out and pick up the dog. So we went out to um, a place, uh, I guess about an hour west of Washington, where the uh, the Golden Retriever was born and uh, picked him up. And his name, I think you guys will get a kick out of his name. His name is uh, Capuccio. We decided to give him an Italian name. And... Um, we, we we played around with a lot of different options. At one point, we were going to call him Furbo, which means sort of sly and clever. But Elisa didn't like that because it had kind of a negative connotation. And um, Capuccio is what, um, it's short for Cappuccino. And um, it's what, it's the way Italians in a hurry will ask for a cup of coffee in the morning when they go into their coffee bar. <clears throat> un cappuccino, un cappuccio per piacere. Um, we thought it was appropriate because, well, it's Italian and also the, the coloring, the dog is at this point anyway, he's, uh, he's more white than golden, but he's kind of a mixture of white and gold and he'll become more golden as he gets older. He's already started to, to kind of metamorphosize there here color wise. But, uh, right now he's sort of the color of the top of a cappuccino. <laughs> so Capuccio is with us. Um, we took him out, uh, for a walk around Alexandria, Virginia on Sunday, his first real big outing, and uh, discovered immediately, well, Billy was the one who, who discovered this, and he tells me he, he intends to take advantage of it. He discovered that the dog is indeed a chick magnet, and <laughs> so I think Billy is going to be uh, willing to, to, uh, to take the dog for, um, for walks, especially in, uh, in uh, urban locations here. Using the uh, the the magnet the chick magnetic properties of the uh, of the new of the new pet, I, I am getting along with the uh, dog quite well. I'm not really uh, an an animal person. I, I I've, I've the cat and I have been kind of just sort of tolerating each other for uh, for many years now. But the um, the dog, uh, I don't know. I I kind of like the little guy, and he 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 seems to to like me. And so anyway, that's our. Uh, our Christmas travelogue this morning, and everybody's quite happy that the dog is here. Um, hey, I wanted to open up, you know, a quote. I don't know if you guys remember Shel Silverstein. Um, there's a name that'll get the, uh, the the whistles in my voice coming out. Shel Silverstein, um, a, a writer of child of children's books. My, he was one of Billy's favorite authors when Billy was was little. He wrote all kinds of great kids' books and and um, and I, I 
always thought of him as the author of the children, author of children's books, which he is. But you know, he's also um, was also a songwriter for rock groups. This may surprise some of you, but he was um, a songwriter for a group called Doctor Hook and the Medicine Show, and I think their only real big hit was on the cover of the Rolling Stone. You know, the line when it's went, you know, the thrill that'll hit you when you get your picture on the cover of the Rolling Stone. Um, and it's a whole song about this uh, rock group and how thrilled they are and how much they want to get their picture on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. Well, gentlemen, I have had a little bit of that sensation myself. I made the cover of Hot Iron. Hot Iron, the newsletter of the Constructors Club, put out by Tim Walford, G3PCJ. Uh, Tim very kindly sends me every issue of, of the newsletter, which I enjoy very much. Great articles. I've mentioned it here many times on Solder Smoke. And the last ish- issue showed up in the mail here in Northern Virginia. And I opened it up, and I was sitting there in the uh, in the kitchen with Elisa as she was preparing dinner. And I very proudly said, Honey, look, I've made the cover of Hot Iron. <laughs> You can imagine her pride, <laughs> but it was a real it was a real hoot. And uh, Tim made a comment in the uh, in the in the article about uh, how concerned he was that the title um, may be causing trouble in the uh, North American context. And I, I I told the story about how lady on the Washington Metro kind of almost got up and changed chairs when she saw saw me sit down and uh, and whip out a copy of Hot Iron. Um, she didn't understand it. It was about electronics and not, well, porn. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, thanks Tim for putting us on the, on the cover. Really enjoyed this edition and, uh, and keep them coming. And, and all those great kits too from, um, from Walford Electronics. Great stuff. All right, guys, I, I've got, you know, I'm very pleased to say that I've got a lot of technical activities to report, um, in this episode. Sometimes I feel guilty and I feel like I'm not I've not been melting enough solder and haven't been talking about it. This is, after all, a, a Tech Talk podcast. But I have uh, technical activities to report at kind of both ends of the uh, the technological spectrum. We're talking about new technology and old technology. I'm going to start with the old. Um, over the weekend, I got a kind of a desire for tube type radios it was on sunday it was kind of kind of rainy and cool here not really cold but rainy and cool and it was a sunday in the winter and i don't know it just it just felt like i needed some some vacuum tubes some filaments glowing some of that smell that comes from old dust on vacuum tubes and uh, and rosin solder from the 1950s you know what i'm talking about so I looked around, and over on the shelf there, I had all my old tube-type gear. And, uh, actually, and, well, I pulled out my Hammerland HQ100 receiver and uh, started seeing if I could get it going and just have something to listen to. Because I find myself here in the shack in the morning, and I don't have any real radios on. And, I, and that's, that's kind of disturbing. So I... Uh, I decided I need to have a, a real radio. The Drake 2B is here, but the 2B, you know, my only criticism of the Drake 2B is that it's too selective. You can only open it up, the uh, the passband only opens up to about 2.6 uh, 
uh, kilohertz. And, you know, you can listen to AM on it, but it's a little bit too narrow. It's a little bit too constrained, and you don't get that full AM sound. It's not, not really good. It doesn't really cover the, the shortwave broadcast bands at all, although you can hear some stations up at the high end of 40. Um, but I wanted a really uh, broad-as-a-barn-door uh, shortwave broadcast receiver, and believe me, gents, the HQ100 fills the bill. There are no uh, crystal filters in that receiver. Selectivity is provided by um, the uh, 455 KC uh, IF cans, which they're not very selective. There is a Q multiplier in there, which makes the receiver, at least in part, a regen, but I decided not to hold that against it. You know how I feel about regeneration. Anyway, um, I pulled the thing out, opened it up, dusted it off. A couple of the, the tubes were kind of loose in the sockets. I applied some contact cleaner. And um, lo and behold, it it works. It's alive. After all these years, the HQ100 is uh, alive and functioning here in Northern Virginia. Um, I, I fired it up and immediately came across the, uh, the beautiful, melodious, tones of Radio Exterior de España, uh, the Spanish shortwave service, and listened to them. They were playing classical music, and it was really, really nice. I then tuned to um, 75 meters and found AM signals there, right where I left them many, many years ago, uh, around uh, 3885, 3890, 3873, those frequencies. And I had the thing on all Sunday afternoon, just listening to AM stations uh, pour in, pouring in here on the long wire antenna into the HQ100, and they just sounded great. It really, There really is an advantage in having a receiver with a very broad uh, passband. This thing is really, really dirt, a dirt-simple receiver, and, uh, and I, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I, I, and I rediscovered mods that I, uh, that I put in there years ago and forgot. You know, I, I picked up this receiver in the Dominican Republic, probably 1994, 1995. I probably bought it from my old friend Pericles Perdomo, Hotel India 8 Papa. And um, this thing was seriously screwed up when when I got it from Pericles. It looked to me like it had been kind of ravaged by the, the harsh electromagnetic environment of the Dominican Republic and kind of had been... <laughs> ravaged in every possible way it it, and it it looked to me like it might have suffered uh, a nearby lightning strike um, it also looked to me like it suffered from a power surge I mean they have real they still have real um, power uh, company problems in the Dominican Republic and they were worse way back when and there were a lot of power surges and uh, so it looked like it had problems coming in from the AC line cord and I also discovered that the uh, the audio uh, output transformer was bad. So uh, this was one of my first real big um, kind of troubleshooting projects, and it was great because there's a lot of room in this receiver. You can you know you can get your fingers in there, and I I found all kinds of faults in it, and they were very. It was a very satisfying troubleshooting experience. You guys know what I mean. I mean, when you when you find a radio that's not working, you don't want the you really don't want it to be 
a, a simple solution. You don't want to look in there and see, oh, well, one of the tubes isn't, isn't plugged in right, and then you plug it in and you're done. You don't really get the sense that you fixed it. In, in the case of this radio, I now remember, looking in there, I can remember discovering that in one of the 455KC um, IF cans, that I discovered that one of the, um, I think it was the secondary coil, was completely open. And um, it just, I think it was, I think that little coil was, was carrying the B-plus to one of the um, IF amplifier tubes. So, of course, with that little lead open, there was no B-plus getting to the plate. And, uh, well, it doesn't work very well that way. So, I remember the satisfaction, the sort of the detective work. And, and finally, looking in there and saying, hey, wait a second, you know, there's supposed to be a DC short between this pin and this one, and there isn't, <laughs> and it's open, and aha, <laughs> I might have even gone in there, I might have even opened up the uh, the IF can and found the little broken wire and patched it. I like to think that I did that, um, because parts probably were in short supply in the Dominican Republic. I might have gotten I might have gotten a replacement part from Pericles, or I might have sent away for one, I'm not sure. But anyway, I remember I fixed that part of it. Also, I could also see the new audio transformer that I put in there. And one of the really satisfying mods that I was proud to discover in this in this old radio um, has to do with uh, the BFO. You know, there, like I said, there's a Q multiplier in this thing. And if you want to run a BFO, if you want to listen to sideband or CW on this, re on this receiver, they wanted you to put it in the Q multiplier position and then turn the regeneration all the way up so the thing would start oscillating around 455 KC around the IF frequency and that would give you your BFO. Well, I, I just never really liked this arrangement. So, um, for a number of reasons. I, 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 there were times when I didn't want to use it as a BFO, I just wanted to use it to narrow the selectivity. You know, I'm, I'm averse to this kind of regeneration. Anyway, there's, there is in the, uh, the receiver an option for an old Hammerland um, crystal calibrator, a 100kc crystal calibrator, just a little oscillator attachment that you could put in there. There's a switch on the back. You, you throw the switch, and it turns on the 100kc oscillator, and you can find out whether or not you are transmitting legally in the, uh, in the amateur radio bands. Well... I, might, I don't know if I got the idea myself or if I picked it up on the boat anchor's mailing list, but I converted that little crystal calibrator oscillator into a BFO. I just took a, a crystal, I think it was 453.5 or something, something within audio frequency range of the actual IF frequency of the receiver, plug that crystal in there instead of the 100kc um, calibrator crystal, and then I could see where I took a little wire from this oscillator and kind of wrapped it a few times around the input lead of one of the IF cans. So you're getting a bit of capacitive and inductive coupling, probably mostly capacitive coupling, into the uh, IF circuit. And sure enough, when I threw that switch on the back of the, uh, of the receiver and turned on what was supposed to be the crystal calibrator, the uh, instead my... Um, crystal calibrator turned BFO came on with a nice solid oscillation at 455 KC and 
voila, I could listen to sideband and CW. Oh man, it was great. It was very satisfying. Of course, I quickly turned that thing off so I could listen to AM. And I listened to the AM roundtable. I listened to the DX60 net. Um, it was just great fun. I got a picture of this uh, this radio on the uh, on my blog on soldersmoke.blogspot.com. And uh, I think the front panel looks really great. It's kind of battleship gray. It's got these um, really cool two two really cool Hammerlin dials, one for uh, tuning and one for band spread. Um, the the HQ100 used to have a clock in it. It came with this kind of cheapo plastic clock that sat in the upper left. When I got it, the clock was, I thought, in really, really bad shape. And it looked really kind of messed up. So I gave up on it. I took the clock out and replaced it with a piece of aluminum panel. Um, I later found out that the clock was um, really sought after by collectors who wanted to bring these things back to original condition. So I sent my clock off to somebody who was trying to fix up a, a Hammerland. I hope it's ticking away somewhere in a, in a radio shack uh, out there somewhere, but uh, I hope it's of use. Mine doesn't have the clock anymore. That's fine with me. Uh, uh, Steve uh, Snort Rosin Smith out there in California chimed in this morning and said I should put something in that space, maybe a digital readout or something like that. I don't know, maybe... Maybe if only maybe if I use Nixie tubes, <laughs> that'd be okay. <laughs> I don't know about any uh, glowing digital stuff in there. I don't know. It just it just wouldn't seem right. Although I guess it would be kind of a fun mix. I don't know. Um, and somebody else asked me about whether uh, I like the um, the uh, the kind of the the light that comes from this this receiver. Well, of course, that reminded me when I was still in the Dominican Republic. I was there from 92 to 96. Um, on the boat anchors mailing list, somebody launched a competition. They called it the Dial Lights, Dial Lights Competition. And the uh, what, it, what it was all about was you had to nominate your favorite old boat anchor radio. And you, you had to nominate it for uh, which, which radio cast the most pleasing light on the walls of the shack when you fired it up. <laughs> with all the lights out in the shack, and I, uh, I definitely I, I nominated the HQ100 because it's got these two lamps, one each behind the um, the tuning and band spread dials, and it's got this kind of um, I guess it's kind of colander like uh, mesh cabinet that really lets the heat out, but it also lets the light out, and uh, it it casts this uh, kind of really old radio kind of uh, kind of uh, pattern on the ceiling and on the walls here in the shack. So great stuff. Three cheers for uh, for Hammerland. I was reading the history of the company. They started out in the 30s in New York City. I think they produced the first commercially available uh, superheterodyne uh, shortwave receiver. And then they got into the Comet Pros and the Super Pros. And for a long time, they did their manufacturing right there on the island of Manhattan. Hard to imagine now that as a as a good site for um, electronics manufacturing, but I guess it was in the 30s. And then um, I guess in the 40s or the 50s, or maybe maybe a little bit earlier, they moved out to uh, Mars Hill, North Carolina. Uh, great location for a radio company. And they, they were the ones who produced the Super Pro. At one point, I had a Super Pro 600 here. 
but I, I chickened out. <laughs> the, the restoration of that beast, beautiful as the radio is, um, it seemed like it was a bit too much. I picked it up from uh, the family of a, um, of a general in the Dominican Republic who had it and uh, had it for many years. He was an amateur radio operator. And I got it from uh, the family after he passed away I, with, with the intention of fixing it up. But man, you read about, I read about how, uh, how, the, how you had to deal with the, uh, the black beauty capacitors in there. It just was so heavy. The thing was a, um, was a monster, man. Just to flip it over, you could, you could injure yourself with that radio. <laughs> so uh, discretion was the better part of valor. And uh, when we were back here in Virginia uh, last time, I sold it on eBay. I hope I hope somebody's having a good time with it. Anyway, that's the uh, the old radio story um, for this morning. Uh, in terms of new radio, this is relatively new. Around the same time that I was pulling out the HQ100, I, I fired up, if you could call it that, firing it up. I, I turned on the old um, Lafayette HA600. Um, those of you who've read my radio history will know that my my first receiver was a Lafayette HA600A that I got for Christmas in 1973. Um, a solid state receiver. The HA600A was okay. Um, when I got the uh, Drake 2B, of course, I, I wondered how I had ever managed to talk to anybody using the HA600A as a receiver. But in a fit of, uh, of nostalgia um, a few years back, I went out to eBay and bought a, um, an HA600. I thought I was getting an HA600A, but I got the HA600 model. I guess the seller just didn't realize there was a difference. But um, the HA600 is not quite as good as the HA600A, but I, I turned it on. It was great fun to listen to the um, shortwave stations on that, but somehow the solid-state radio, it just didn't have the, the warmth, the presence. I don't know what it is. There's something, I don't know, when you're listening to AM... I think I think there's an advantage to using uh, tubes. I don't want to get all uh, kind of uh, audio foolish here, but uh, <laughs> I don't know why. It just it just seems like it sounds better. I don't know. Maybe it's a psychological thing. Maybe it it just feels right listening to AM with a uh, tube type or valve type radio. Anyway, the HA 600s up there. I I may use it on the bench from time to time, but I tell you, it's hard to compete with the uh, HQ100. Okay, guys, now fast forward to the 21st century. (laughs) You know, my adventures with Whisper continues. Apologies to those of you who are now groaning and rolling your eyes saying enough of this Whisper nonsense, but I got to tell you, it's been a a very cool period here in, in, uh, in Whisperland. And um, at one point this week, I had both the Whisper transmitter and my uh, old uh, Hans Summers Da Vinci Code um, QRSS uh, visible um, shark fin uh, transmitter going at the same time. At lunch hour at work, I could uh, go onto the internet and see um, on the Whisper side who was who was and who had received me during the course of the morning. And I could also look at the grabber screens from um, the uh, the QRSS system and see who was receiving me at the same time. Um, really, um, a lot of fun. And I've 
this morning, just this morning, I had one of my best mornings ever with the Whisper system. I, I read yesterday that uh, there was a new sunspot coming around the rim of the sun, and it's it's obviously having its effect because conditions are are really really up. All week they've been up, and um, uh, I've, uh, I've 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 been spotted by uh, by stations um, in Australia. Was picked up by a, by a station in uh, on Wake Island out there in the Pacific. Um, then yesterday, um, our um, our friend Lawrence uh, KL1X, one of the one of the true globetrotters of ham radio, um, picked up my signal up there in um, in Wasilla, Alaska. <laughs> There's a location you've heard of. <laughs> um, he's got a remote. He's got a receiver that is remotely controlled. I think Lawrence is actually in Oklahoma now, but he has a receiver going, and it's hooked up to the web up there in in Alaska. And uh, my little 200 milliwatt double sideband whisper signal from the homebrew rig made it all the way up to Wasilla. Very satisfying stuff. Like I said, this morning, probably the best morning ever. Um, about two weeks ago, right around the solstice, my um, my signal was picked up in by VK6XT out there uh, on the on the west coast of Australia, and that was a real thrill because I had never made it to down under before, and to make it all the way to VK6, and I it was it was picked up early morning my time, early evening his time, and I went and took a look at the configuration of the sun and where the where the gray line was and it was pretty obvious that it was a gray line condition and it was pretty obvious that also that I was probably my signal was probably going north east over over Europe then down over Asia and across down over Vietnam and Thailand into VK6 land that was probably the path I noticed that on the, the, the kind of the other gray line, 12 hours later, when I was in evening and um, he was in morning, um, I wasn't getting into, um, into VK, into VK6. But yesterday it happened for the first time in that configuration, in my evening gray line, that I, I made it to VK6XT. And then um, all this morning... I've been picked up by a VK2, I think it's VK2 DDI out there, and I've, I've been picked up by him 25 or 30 times. So conditions are really up, and uh, those of you who are interested in working some DX, I mean, I think uh, the new solar cycle is starting to kick in, and uh, good news indeed. So um, I've got some work to do on the um, the Whisper system. I have my little... Uh, whisper uh, transceiver here and I've been talking about it it's got it's a real kind of hodgepodge of technology the uh, the oscillator is from a design by Gene W3PM and it's just a little Culpitz oscillator sitting there on the center of the uh, the PC board the um, um, then I have um, a very simple Balanced modulator, two diode balanced modulator from a design from uh, Doug Demore, W1FB. I put a little, another little stage of um, amplification in there, and then it goes on to the um, the power amplifier, 
that Tony Parks sent me. It's the power amplifier from one of his uh, soft rock SDR transceivers. You'll recall that I I didn't build this in the surface mount mode. Well, I tried and failed, but then I, I kind of Manhattanized it. I opened it up and I put little little boards off to the side and instead of using the surface mount components, I just put everything out there on the board so that I could work on it easily and it works out real well. It pumps out. If I want, I could pump out about one watt, but I usually keep it running down around a half watt. And when it's double sideband, that means there's only about a quarter watt in the uh, the signal that the uh, the whisper system is looking at. And um, um, the the audio amplifier in this thing is from a design from Roger Hayward, uh, KA7EXM. Um, so it's it's a great little rig. I've got parts in there that are our friend Jerry Feltz, the pads sent to me by Jerry and A5N. A lot of parts in there from from Jim AL7RV, and there's parts in there from uh, from Michael AA1TJ. So I've got real kind of a emotional connection to this uh, this little radio. It needs some work though. I got to do I got to work on the computer control. There's a way you could use signals from the Whisper software through the serial port on the computer to um, switch the um, the rig from transmit to receive. Right now I have it set up so it, I'm only either only receiving or only transmitting, mostly only transmitting. Um, but I want to set it up so that I could put it in true transceiver mode and have the uh, the computer switch it back and forth from from transmit to receive. That'd be a lot of fun. And then it would of course automatically upload the spots, upload the receive reports that I that I get. I think this would be would be great fun. Um, and I also want to do some more accurate power measurements. The only power measurements I'm doing right now are with this little SWR power meter from Radio Shack. And it shows um, about about half a watt, which seems right. But because it's double sideband, I don't know, I want to take this thing over to the bench and do some more, do some serious measurements on the uh, on the peak envelope power and see that how, see how that corresponds with the, the reading that I get from the cheapo Radio Shack. Uh, power meter, uh, because I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure. Well, my power measurements are far from accurate, but um, I want to. Uh, I want to get a better handle on exactly how much power I'm putting out. So that's the um, the first part of our new technology um, uh, story for the day. Uh, now, here, here, this is a lot of fun. This is a kind of a new a new technology repair story. And uh, <laughs> you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. I, you'll remember, I think in the last uh, solder smoke, I was telling you about my uh, my wife's Sony Vios, a laptop computer that had gone, as we say, toes up. The thing had gone bad in a really, really ugly way. One day she came to me and said, oh, there's something wrong with my computer. I think I got a virus. And I went and I looked and the display was all completely messed up and I was trying to figure out what was wrong with it and at first I thought it might have been a virus and then I thought well maybe it was because the the hard disk was just chuck full of pictures I don't know I kind of went around and then I I think I asked here on the podcast and guys started sending me messages and it turned out that what was wrong with it was the um the graphics chip, the NVIDIA graphics chip on the uh, 
in this computer on the motherboard so you can't just swap out a, a, a new video card because they got the video chip right on the motherboard so if you want to swap anything out you got to swap out the whole motherboard which as far as I can tell is pretty much the the whole darn computer <laughs> we took it I, we went on the net and we discovered that NVIDIA had indeed had trouble with some of its video chips. I'll get into the nature of the trouble in a minute. But they had very responsibly decided to make things right. And they had set aside some huge quantity of money to, uh, to make things right with their um, customers. Their chips had found their way into many varieties of, uh, of computers, including Apple computers, HP computers, and Sony computers. So I figured, well, this is great. You know, it's all been admitted. Everybody said there's a problem. Money has been made available. So I'm sure Sony will uh, be happy to, to repair this computer that has died far too early. This, the, only, the computer is only two or three years old. Well, we went down to the local shop to see the, uh, the local Sony folks. And um, they were very nice, but they said, oh, we don't think they're going to fix it. Because, you see, Sony made up a list of computers that have the problem. And the list is based on the number of people that complained. Apparently, they didn't say, all right, let's look at what computers have the, uh, the problematic chips in them. They said, well, let's look at which customers complained, and that'll be the list of computers with the bad chips and we'll fix only those. So I said to him, wait a second, the computer has the same chip that's given everybody else problems. They said, yeah, 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 but it's not on our list, you see. So uh, I was sorry, Mr. Merrill, we can't fix your computer. <laughs> they said, we can fix it for you, but we'll charge you 400 bucks. And I said, no, no, that's okay. Give me it back. Went back and it sat there for, for a while. I thought we were really going to scrap it. But then emails started coming in, emails from folks who had listened to the previous podcast, and people were telling me, hey, look, you got to check out some of the YouTube videos about how people have dealt with this problem, and it's amazing. People were, the first suggestion I, came, I got came from a solder smoke listener who said, hey, just pop the motherboard into your oven and cook it at 350 degrees for a while, and that'll fix it. <laughs> that didn't sound too good for me. I, I don't know. It just it didn't sound it didn't sound good. But I it, I I was intrigued, and I started figuring it. Started trying to figure out why that might might help the situation. So of course more googling, and then I started looking at more YouTube videos. And there's videos from all over the world of people who have done this in one form or another. Finally, I found. And there's this, there's a picture there's one really scary video of these guys in a in a in a completely chaotic workshop somewhere in China. I mean there's boards and pieces of parts and stuff all over the floor. And one guy you see him they focus on him and he takes this board and he he applies this kind of it looks like a like a drill press with a big heating element on it, and he lowers this thing onto the onto the onto the GPU chip. And then they all kind of smile and thumbs up and like they fixed it. Well, finally I found a site, and I have it on the blog, that describes what the problem with the GPU chip really was. 
and you guys will be very pleased to know that it was not some mysterious fault inside the chip, inside that kind of ultimate black box. It was not a fault, you know, in the way they they laid down the layers of millions of transistors inside. No, no, no. It was a soldering problem. Apparently, you know, the way they put these chips on the board is with little blobs of solder. And they have a little blob of solder, I mean hundreds of little blobs of solder, on the bottom of the chip. And on, on, on the board, on the motherboard, they have corresponding little blobs of solder. And then the machine takes the chip, lines it up precisely, the proper little blobs are lined up with each other, and then it puts it down, applies heat, and bang, we're done. Hundreds of soldering connections made in an instant. Now, most of the time it works really well. This time, with these chips, it didn't. And apparently, I'm not quite sure I got this 100% right, but it seems like on they used a different kind of solder on the board than they used on the chips. And one or the other was the new dreaded, hated, lead-free solder. So the, 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 they, they all worked at first, but then over time, after going through numerous heating and cooling cycles as the computer was turned on and turned off, some of the connections would break and would lift up and there would be no more electrical connection. That was the problem. It wasn't a problem inside the chip. It was a problem with the with the solder connections, and that's where the heat solution came. Now, putting it in the in the oven seemed like a pain for a number of reasons. I didn't want the thing melting in the oven, and then my wife would be kind of unhappy about the permanent <laughs> smell of melted plastic <laughs> in the oven. That wouldn't be good. But I looked at some of the other videos, and there was one option that really caught my attention. This guy used a light bulb to apply heat. Specifically, he used a um, 100 or 150 watt halogen kind of beam light bulb, the kind that you have out in the backyard to illuminate the backyard. He took this thing, and he made himself like a little kind of a frame so that only the, the chip in question would be exposed and then he put the the beam down on the top of the chip and heated it up and then now what he did was he heated it up and then as soon as he removed the the, the heat he kind of applied pressure I didn't like the apply applying pressure bit because I was afraid that if in its molten state if we put any kind of pressure on it there was a danger that I could shift the chip a little bit and completely mess up the alignment of the, the chip and the board. So what I figured I needed to do was just apply the heat. Now I looked, I took a look, I did a little experiment before I did it. I took the light bulb and I brought it down onto a piece of ordinary 6040 solder. And I wanted to see how long it would take to heat that solder up to the point of melting. And if I put the light bulb about a half inch from the piece of solder, in 30 seconds, the, the solder was molten. Those lights get real hot. So I figured, all right, I'll give the chip about 30 seconds of light. I opened it up. 
I put the, uh, the light bulb in an appropriate holder and I lowered it down and focused it right on that chip, turned it on, 30 seconds, lifted it up. Closed up the computer case, put the heat sink back on, applied a little bit of extra um, heat sink compound. I was tempted to use Desodin, <laughs> you know, the, the heat sink compound substitute, the baby, the baby lotion substitute, but no, I used real heat sink compound, put it on there, closed the thing up, and gentlemen, it's alive. It worked. I turned that thing on, and that that display that had been completely, almost completely indecipherable, was clear as a bell. That computer was brought back from the dead through the information-sharing power of the Solder Smoke podcast and YouTube videos from people around the world who are suffering with the same problem. I can't tell you how much this repair did to fortify my reputation in this house as a true electronic wizard. When I told my wife that I was going to fix this thing by shining a light bulb on it, she looked at me like I've been sif- I've been out there sniffing a bit too much solder smoke. But man, she and the kids now think that I truly am a total electronic wizard. Um, just great stuff. I'm really, <laughs> really, really pleased. Now, I, I said on the blog, this really doesn't qualify in my mind as a repair. Fixing this computer was almost nothing like fixing the HQ100 that I described earlier. There was no real troubleshooting. I mean, the, you, you don't get that sense of satisfaction because in, in repair, the satisfaction really comes from the troubleshooting, from finding out that one little part Finding out that R19 is open, or that C22 is shorted, or that Q11 is burned out, and then going in there, replacing the part, and getting the thing to work. That's the real satisfaction. In this thing, it, there was no real troubleshooting, but I must say the use of the 150-watt uh, halogen light bulb was um, novel, and it really was great to kind of be able to thumb my nose at Sony and say, no, I'm not going to pay you the <laughs> the 400 bucks and I'm going to fix it myself. <coughs> so great. Thanks a lot. I also want to thank Alan, WA9IRS. In the middle of this, um, of this fiasco, Alan very kindly sent me an email and offered to send me a replacement Sony uh, BIOS computer thinking that I might use the parts. And he did. And it showed up in the mail. And uh, it looked like it was really in tough shape. Uh, Alan said that he, he thought that somebody had been using it to uh, open walnuts. <laughs> it was kind of beat up. So I looked at it, and right around the time this computer that, that Alan sent arrived, I was uh, performing the light bulb miracle. So I said, well, I really don't need it. I looked in there. And there was some RAM chips, um, that one gig RAM chips, that were the same kind used in my wife's computer. So I said, "Well, I'll do what Alan told me to do and use some of the parts." So I popped out one of the Alan, one of the uh, one of the RAM chips, and put it in my wife's computer and took her from one gig of RAM to two gigs of RAM, which helps. So now the computer's even faster than ever. Again, reinforcing my electronic wizard reputation. 
Um, so that was fun. But then my then with with with, with all the rubble from the uh, from Alan's um, Vios computer on the workbench, Billy came in one morning and said, "Hey, what's that?" And I started to explain to him what had happened. He said, "Well, can we get it working? Because I could I could use it." And I said, "Well, I, I don't know. I don't I don't think so. And, and we'll, we'll have to see." So, of course, the challenge, the gauntlet was on the ground, and I, I, I picked it up, and I put all those parts back together. I plugged in the uh, the hard drive that Alan had sent along, and I fired that thing up, expecting to see nothing, and it works. <laughs> it's great. Billy loves it. He's using it. It's it's He's got all kinds of programs running on it. Great stuff. Alan, you've uh, you really helped out. Thanks for sending that along. Billy is using it all the time. It's become pretty much his main computer. Now I had to go out and buy another uh, RAM chip. <laughs> I found one to replace the one that I took out because he wants the two gigs of RAM so he could use it to play games. But it's it's working just fine. And uh, and thanks for sending that along, Alan. And uh, and thanks also to all the folks who sent in suggestions. I really appreciate the advice. You guys put me on the right track. And thanks to all those people out there in YouTube land who made videos. And uh, as for Sony, a collective boo, his evil Sony corporation wouldn't fix my computer. <laughs> but I fixed it myself. All right. All right, let's see. A couple other little, uh, a couple other technological stories here. I wanted to mention something. The other day I was going through experimental methods in RF design. I was looking at the um, the chapter on on mixers and balanced modulators, and I found a really cool mod that was in there. It was written up by, uh, uh, the source of this was W6JFR, a call sign familiar to solder smoke fans, and it was um, about the SBL1 mixer. You know, these are the little um, four diode ring mixers in a can. Really cool little components. They're kind of like they kind of look like integrated circuits, but they're not really because you could crack them open and see the four diodes and the two toroidal uh, trifiller transformers in there. I, I, I use one. There's one of them sitting right here in the uh, the whisper rig that I described earlier, and I saw a little a cool little mod in there. Now, one of the things about these um, the SBL1 is that you there's really no control in there where you can completely null out the carrier if you're using it as a balanced modulator. But W6JFR figured out how to do that. He put a tiny little pot, a little potentiometer, between pins 5 and 6. <laughs> I think you could actually put it, if they're small enough, you could put it right there on the top of the, uh, of the, uh, of the SBL1 box if you have it mounted, as I do, with the pins up. I just glue the thing onto the board so the pins are up. And you can put a little potentiometer in there between pins 5 and 6, and that makes the whole thing, I guess you could say, nullable. You could get in there and adjust that, that little pot to completely null out the carrier. Fine business. I, this is on page 6.57 in Experimental Methods for RF Design. And I, I, I just, the book is so good. And of course, you know my, 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 my fondness for solid state design for the radio amateur. I think that... In every issue of Solder Smoke, I should endeavor to have at least one reference to one circuit from one of those uh, one of those great books. Thanks to the the authors for for bringing them to us. All right, 
before we I could see we're at, we're about the 47 minute point before we get to um, the uh, solder smoke mailbag I just want to mention I, I've made some uh, uh, innovations on the uh, the on the blog page that you should check out one of the things I did is I put I found on other people's blogs this cool little globe uh, you got to take a look and see what I mean go to the blog and look in the upper right corner and you'll see there's this little globe spinning around and what it's doing is it's it's recording who has come to the site if you visit the site you put a little red dot on there but when you first visit the site when you're a recent visitor the globe shows a little flag of your country and a little name of your um, of your town right there so it's kind of real time you could take a look at it and see at this moment who around the world is uh, is reading the solder smoke blog and as the the author and owner of the blog I find this of course quite gratifying the other day I I just popped in and I saw that I had people reading the blog in um, in San Francisco in um, Sydney Australia in Eastern Finland and in Nha Trang Vietnam so as the globe spun around you saw at that moment this collection of, of four listeners from around the world and I you know considering that Sutter Smoke does have kind of a kind of a global theme to it we are after all the international brotherhood of electronic wizards I, I was quite pleased to see uh, at that moment listeners from around the world so check out the little globe and if you want to with your mouse you could make it spin faster <laughs> you could make it spin backwards you could tilt it up and look at a southern or northern polar projection there's all kinds of things you could do with the uh, the little we call solder globe and uh, I've had a lot of fun with it all right I'm going to pause here I'm going to come back I think we're going to do maybe uh, one announcement and then we'll move on to the uh, to the mailbag portion of the program All right, guys, only a couple of commercial announcements here. I just wanted to let you know that uh, the suits at Lulu are running another one of their their sales. It's a 10% off sale. It runs all the way through January. So if you have any money left over from the holidays and are interested in purchasing solder smoke, global adventures, and wireless electronics, this might not be a bad time to do it. Uh, there are links on the, uh, the blog page where you can find out more information about the book at soldersmoke.com slash book.htm and you'll see all kinds of reviews and endorsements <clears throat> from Solder Smoke community luminaries and links to uh, to the Lulu page where it's very easy to make a purchase. If you've already bought the book, please uh, spread the word. Let uh, other radio fiends know about it. We're trying to reach out not only to the amateur radio community but to the broader uh, geek uh, electronic solder melting uh, community. There's a lot of other electronics enthusiasts out there that we'd like to let know about the book. So uh, if you know anybody like that, please uh, pass the word. The other thing that I'd like to mention is that our our um, our coffee mug bumper sticker T-shirt store is still open at Cafe Press. If you go to the uh, the blog page in the upper left, you'll see a big coffee mug, and uh, you might want to consider purchasing some bumper stickers, t-shirts for the upcoming uh, summer season, 
Uh, there are still some sweatshirts available. And um, anyway, some of this stuff uh, could be <laughs> could be a lot of fun. And you'd want to have one of those uh, solder smoke bumper stickers on your on your car. En enough of this political um, heartache. Let's put some solder smoke sentiments on those bumper stickers. That'd be fun. All right. That's enough of the announcements, and I guess it's now time to open the mailbag. Let's see. Where are we? Well, there's the mailbag. Okay. Oh, speaking of the book, the first letter in the mailbag this week comes from Rob, KD7KAR. He enjoyed the book. Thanks for the uh, thanks for that, uh, Rob. Glad you liked it. We got um, a nice email from Paul, M0XPD. I had asked if anyone out there was like me running Homebrew's, Homebrew Whisper. And uh, Paul, of course, we've, I forgot about Paul, but I mentioned uh, a while back his very fine business, uh, Homebrew Whisper Rig, far more sophisticated than mine. Um, he, he describes it on on his really excellent uh, blog page, and I think I have links to it on the Solder Smoke site. If not, you could just Google M0XPD and you'll find his blog page. Uh, Paul was, was very pleased when I put him on the blog. And he said that he felt that it was akin to um, what they call in the United Kingdom um, mentioned in dispatches. This is, um, I have to explain, this is in, in the days uh, gone by, the, especially in the days of the empire, if you did something noteworthy, if a British uh, soldier did something noteworthy, uh, he, it, it was mentioned in the dispatches sent back to London. And it was quite an honor, so... Uh, Paul says he's felt like he's been given the uh, the ham radio equivalent of mentioned in dispatches, and uh, well, <laughs> I'm I'm very pleased you feel that way, Paul. Thanks, um, Jim AL7RV, our uh, our roving uh, friend who keeps sending us these really excellent and useful and timely uh, care packages, sent in some information about his latest ham radio episode uh, adventure. He is fixing up his old Zenith. Transoceanic. This is the uh, the radio that he carried with him uh, through the Vietnam War. He uh, he talks about how he used to wrap it up in his um, in in his combat fatigues and uh, put it in his duffel bag as he moved from location to location. The uh, the same Transoceanic is still with him, still working, and he sent us a very nice picture of him listening to it at an outdoor location. Somewhere in the southern portion of the United States, I'm guessing, because there wasn't a lot of ice and snow around, and Jim looked like he was quite comfortable there in shirt sleeves. So we're, we're envious, Jim. Um, you know, and I, I, I was looking at this the other day, and I realized this was probably, this, this message from Jim is probably what motivated me to pull out the HQ100 HQ and the Lafayette HA600 and work on my old shortwave receivers. So you see, I'm under, I'm under the influence of, uh, of, of AL7RV. Thanks for the message, Jim. Uh, Bob, N1FBF, also working on an old receiver. He's working on an old HRO500. Good luck with that, uh, Bob. It just I guess it just is wintertime. Wintertime makes you want to pull out old receivers, especially old tube-type receivers. Um, Bruce, KK0S, uh, sends links to the web SDR sites. Uh, these are the sites that um, allow you to listen to uh, radios from um, on the net, and um, very glad to to get that. Um, and uh, very useful devices too. You could uh, you could tune into your own frequency and see how your signal is uh, is making it around the world. Uh, check out the uh, the web SDR sites. Um, Bill 
W4HBK. Uh, he didn't send this to me, but he posted it on the QRP list. This is um, uh, HBK, who, who runs the, uh, the world-famous Pensacola Grabber. We talked about this not long ago on Thought of Smoke, and I put a link to, to it up on the, um, on the, on the blog page. Uh, this is one of the QRSS visual uh, grabber stations, and uh, uh, Bill and I uh, worked together when I was in Italy. He uh, he was he he managed to receive my tiny little QRSS signal uh, all the way in, in Pensacola from from Italy. And and whenever I'm on uh, visual QRSS, my signal seems to have something of a pipeline into Pensacola. So I'm always grateful for his uh, his receive station. Anyway, he posted on QRPL an article from the October 1948 issue of QST on the transistor. Uh, it's got a great title. It's called The Transistor, an Amplifying Crystal, indeed. And uh, the article expresses a bit of skepticism about the utility of this uh, newfangled device. But then, to the credit of QST, and I, I think they deserve some credit here, because the last line in the article is, quote, these clever little devices are worth keeping an eye on. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I was just reading the other day that Intel just put a billion of them on a, on a single chip. And oh, by the way, on the blog, I, uh, I just spotted yesterday an article about some guys who have cracked open one of the early CPU chips and have studied it with a microscope and have come up with the actual circuit diagram down to the component level, I believe, involving, I think, thousands of transistors. And uh, they've built electronic models of it in the computer, and then, the, then the, I believe that the models will actually run programs. There's a link to this on the, um, on the blog, so, so check it out. Um, Chris, KD4PBJ, uh, sent me some very nice computer interface boards. They're Cecil II demo boards. This is very timely because um, I'm trying to figure out how to switch my whisper rig from transmit to receive via the computer serial port and these boards have some nice kind of serial port connectors on them so very useful thanks for for sending them along uh, chris brent um kd0gls uh brent uh, wrote worrying that uh saying that he was worried that perhaps in in dubbing me the um, the the grand poobah of sonar smoke that he might have been saying something negative, um, and might might have been saying something uh, insulting, and and I didn't didn't take it that way at all. I was really quite honored with the um, the grand uh, Poobah uh, a title. I was thinking about making up a, a nameplate of, of for the upcoming Hamfest season. <laughs> I, I I don't know what the negative connotation is. I guess I'll have to go to Wiki and find out. But um, all I thought about was the Flintstones. Fred and Barney were in the lodge, and uh, and the leader was the grand Poobah. Or I, I, I thought that might have also been the honeymooners. Jackie Gleason and his neighbors were also in a in a lodge, and I, I think they were also led by the Grand Poobah. So um, anyway, um, thanks for the title, and uh, it's it's one that I I, I wear with pride, uh, Brent. Uh, Alan VA three IAW was reading Solder Smoke the book and and uh, and liked very much the explanation of transistor action that I have in there. I I I, I tell in the book about how as a, as a teenage ham, I really struggled to understand, you know, really understand, deep down in your gut understand how transistors work. And uh, they kept talking about holes, holes that were moving around, hole movement. 
and the hulls would move here and the hulls would move there and the hulls would uh, would jump across the uh, the PN barrier and all this stuff and I I just could not in in my mind in my 13 year old mind understand or visualize hole movement and uh, so there's a I guess a rather lengthy chapter in the book about transistor action and uh, I'm really pleased that Alan up in Canada was was studying it and he, he sent some comments on it and we went back and forth and uh, and anyway the bottom line was he said that he really he found it illuminating which was the whole purpose I wanted to I in the book I try to share with readers my struggles to understand uh, radio circuitry and believe me there's some big struggles behind me <laughs> and, and more ahead I think but uh, anyway thanks for the comment Alan glad you liked it uh, Bert WF7I our man out there at the University of Virginia uh, notes that he is um, he too is working on mixers in in solder smoke the book we uh, spent a long time discussing mixers and how mixers work um, uh, Bert WF7I is a uh, graduate student out there at the University of Virginia at Charlottesville uh, deeply involved in the the club W3UVA and um, he sent us some information on the history of the club and on a um, on a treasure trove of old gear that one of the uh, earlier members of the club discovered. I, I just read it. And it got it's like it's like a, a boat anchor fan's uh, dream <laughs> discovery. You open the door and there's a complete radio station from from years gone by sitting there untouched for decades. Uh, wow. Anyway, um, back to mixers. Uh, Bert is working on mixers that operate at 1.6 terahertz. And he says that the, the name of the device that he's using, I love it. I mean, I want to have one of these. You want to have one of these in your rig so you could tell your fellow amateurs that you're uh, you're running a, quote, a hot electron bolometer. Yeah. Or is that a bolometer? I guess bolometer would sound better. I don't know. Bolometer. That sounds, that sounds kind of cool, too. A hot electron bolometer. <laughs> He says, even though he's working on it uh, professionally at graduate level, he too struggles to uh, understand mixer theory and to make the kind of leap in understanding from the math, from the trigonometry to um, to kind of really saying that you understand what's going on in there. I sympathize, Burton. Thanks for uh, for being so so candid about it. Uh, Keith V E three T Z F. Oh man, he he got in there and fixed his. Uh, his laptop display with a heat gun and said that he was inspired by uh, my tales my tales of uh, computer repair daring do so <laughs> guys uh, at one point there in the last couple of weeks uh, Keith and I were thinking that uh, that heat lamps and uh, and heat guns might be replacing soldering irons as the as the tool of choice perhaps in computer repair but thank God never for the kind of rigs we work on I have my little whisper rig sitting here with its Manhattan pads supplied by uh, by uh, Jerry Feltz. Everything's all open and workable and, and, and visible. So, uh, yeah, I don't think there's any danger. We're going to have to turn in our soldering irons and use uh, heat lamps. But uh, but they sure were useful in the computer repair. Um, Keith uh, turned his heat gun to the to the back part of a of a of a laptop display and uh, got all those cold soldering joints heated up and nice and shiny and the thing worked so uh congratulations keith uh jim w a eight 
Zulu Hotel November reports that his son showed uh, signs of the knack at age three. Very good. And, uh, and he, he went on to get his license at 12 and is now off at university. Congratulations, Jim. Thanks for sharing with that with us. I've got a nice email from, uh, uh, from, from, uh, from the UK. Nick, Golf, uh, Golf 8 India November X-Ray. No, I'm sorry, G8INE. Uh, he said that the podcast inspired him to melt solder again. That's what we like to hear. Hey, guys, I mentioned uh, Jerry Feltz, our friend out there in, in the Dakotas in R5A. I wanted to mention again that Jerry is in a uh, difficult medical uh, situation. And uh, if anybody has any connections or has any insights or, or words of wisdom on how uh, how Jerry might get a, um, a kidney transplant, that would uh, really make a dramatic improvement in his life. He's, he's in a tough situation right now, living in a, in a tough area, especially in the wintertime and, uh, and in real hardship. And uh, so if anybody can think of a way to help our, um, our, our brother Jerry out there, um, let me know and I'll, I'll pass the word on to him. Uh, finally, the last, uh, last item in the mailbag, we um, heard from, we got an email from, from Jackie up in Alaska. Jackie is um, uh, Mike KL7R's uh, widow, and uh, uh, we got a nice email from her. Her computer had been down. That's why we hadn't heard from her in a while, but it was uh, it was very nice to hear from her. Uh, this must be a tough time of year. This is, of course, the time of year that we uh, we lost our friend Mike, but um, she seems to be doing well, and um, we were uh, we were real glad to hear from her. All right, guys, I think that brings us to the end of Solder Smoke 129. I uh, I seem to have uh, some more items building up in the uh, solder smoke inbox, so it might not be so long uh, until we put together the next uh, podcast. I know, especially during the winter, guys uh, have a little bit more time for uh, time in the shack and more uh, listening time. So this might be a good time to put out another edition of of solder smoke. And uh, so it might not be a full month; it might just be a a week or two until we come out with uh, solder smoke edition. 130. I, I hope the um, the winter is treating you uh, kindly up all the folks up in the north. Uh, I know it's it's not, but uh, but hang in there. And I hope the uh, I was thinking about our friends down there in Australia. I hope you're all uh, high and dry and uh, and not affected by the the terrible floods that we've been seeing on, on TV. Anyway, best wishes to all. Uh, Seven three from Northern Virginia. Say bye, Maria. Bye. Say ciao, bravi ragazzi. Ciao.